Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the show, we catch up with our good friend Jesse Berger. He is the author of Magic Internet Money, a book about Bitcoin. We get all his current thoughts on Bitcoin and hardware wallets and what's going on in the world on this particular episode. He's become a great uh, friend of the show and it introduced many people to the show who have been great guests. So we really thank him. So that's what we're doing on this particular episode. And listen, if you're listening to this and you're going to go down the Bitcoin rabbit hole and you think you might want to do this, we are, and we're asked this all the time, that's why I'm sharing it, our favorite exchange in Canada is Bull Bitcoin. And if you go to rockstarbtc, that's rockstarbtc.ca, you will get $20 if you sign up for a Bull Bitcoin account through rockstarbtc.ca. That will redirect you and you will get $20 in free Bitcoin when you fund your account at Bull Bitcoin. The reason we like them so much is they're non-custodial, they don't hold your Bitcoin, you set up your own Bitcoin wallet, and you buy the Bitcoin goes right to you directly. So they don't hold it for you. We really like that idea a lot. And they will walk you through this process. They sell, I think it's they sell for really inexpensive amounts. I think it's $40. They'll jump on the phone for an hour with you and walk through all of the setup. Or if you're purchasing a large enough amount, they just do that as part of their onboarding service to new clients. So we're really big fans of Bull Bitcoin. And if you go to rockstarbtc.ca for an account, you will get $20 in free Bitcoin when you sign up through that URL. That's rockstarbtc.ca. That's enough with this intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. We are with Jesse Berger, the one and only Jesse Berger. He has thoughts and opinions, and he's not scared <laughs> to share them. And Jesse was one of the people that I secretly seated inside the Your Life, Your Terms event because I was trying to put Bitcoiners in strategic places around the event because that is my, that is maybe just how I, get a kick out of life right now <laughs> talking about Bitcoin in areas where people don't expect Bitcoin to be discussed. But so thank you for being at that event where Jeff Booth spoke and gave that kind of uh, talk. I think a lot of people thought his talk was like a, a heavy talk. But for me, I want people to think critically about the world. So I really felt really grateful that Jeff took the time to come out and then present the way he presented just to get people thinking about things and the world and money, maybe in a way they hadn't. And, and just so you know, probably 10% of that room are really good Bitcoiners, but then there's a vast majority of that room who, you know, haven't been exposed to some of these ideas. Yeah. So thanks for being there. You were part of my secret plan, Jesse. Yeah, so. no, thank you for having me. And I'm, I'm sorry. I, I showed up, I think 20 minutes late because I was like, I called oh, you out. I'm yeah. not a morning guy. And so I showed up, oh. you know, like it started at eight or something and it was a Mississauga. I was like, hey, you know, I'll get there at 30, 8.45. I'll be fine. And you had already said my name on stage. Yeah, look, oh, Jesse's like, in the room. Just, Raise your hand, Jesse. And I, I wasn't there. Just for context, there was like five people total I called out. It was my wife, my sister-in-law, which I'm very happy I remember. Oh, wow, I'm my part wife. of the family. And yeah, and there was like three other people and you were one of them. And then I'm, you know, hey, Jesse, I'm so happy that you're here. Where are you, Jesse? Where are you? And no hand goes <laughs> no out. Hand goes oh, out. okay. Well, yeah, Jesse might I, be here later. Yeah, I hadn't had my coffee in me. And, uh... <laughs> Pull the mic a, a little closer. Okay, to you. There sorry about that. Yeah. No, no. So I want to pick your brain about 
about some centralization threats around Bitcoin. I'm just interested in, interested in your thoughts. I think Bitcoin's resilient enough now to like withstand almost anything, but I still like thinking of attack vectors and how things could you know happen. So I want to talk to you about that. But first, this whole Alberta Canadian pension plan, I'm out of the loop entirely. I've been busy the last few weeks and I usually keep abreast of like this kind of stuff in Canada. But what's going on? Is Alberta saying they're just not going to contribute to the Canadian pension plan? Yeah, sorry. So for reference, for anyone listening, this is now the blue. I'd mentioned this to Tom just as we were yeah. speaking before going on air here. But um, I just find it very interesting that Daniel Smith, Smith and Alberta has proposed this plan to pull Alberta out of the Canada pension plan. And that's got Ottawa up in arms. And it got me curious about, well, you know, if the idea is that everyone contributes and for everyone that contributes, there's going to be, you know, roughly that amount or an equivalent available for them to withdraw at the end of the day. Um, it is a pension plan that actually has assets. It's not an unfunded liability like the U.S. And I have a fun story to tell actually about the U.S. Um, I'll get to that in a minute. But so I saw on uh, on Twitter, Christy Freeland during one of her recent press conferences, I think it was on Monday, had said the CCP, the Canadian or CPP, pardon me, the Canadian pension plan is one of the crown, quote, the Canadian pension plan is one of the crown jewels of the financial infrastructure that underpins our country. It underpins our triple A credit rating because it is well funded. It, it just got me thinking, it seems like a strange thing that she's really leaning hard on our pension as yeah, what a crown it? jewel that underpins the Canadian economy's credibility. I mean, not that we should care what credit rating agencies say. They're completely corrupt and they miss every financial crisis. So, like, the ratings don't actually matter unless you're in government where she missed matters. She there or let something no, out no, that no. she shouldn't have said? She said it was well-funded. It underpins our AAA credit rating. It just, it was like an itch to me hearing that. Like, I, something... Yeah, why it was just like, why, why is this so important to you? And so I, I just wanted to see, okay, how much money is in the, the Canada pension plan? So, you know, quick Google search. Okay, there's about $570 billion in the pension plan. Canadians that are retired take out, I think it was something like $15,000 per year from the pension plan. And I didn't run the math of how many people are retired and whatnot and inflows and outflows. But I did find um, Fraser Institute did a study. So from 2008 to 2017. So, I mean, that's, I guess, five or six years ago. I, now, love these, I don't know who these guys are. I love the Fraser Institute, the stuff they put up. Yeah, they're sort of a uh, Is it like libertarian some, leaning economic think tank, I guess, some, if you want to. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out who funds their stuff. But anyway, go on. So net contributions from 2008 to 2017. So net meaning, right, there's amount that goes in, plus there's also amount that goes out to the retirees who are taking drawing money from it. So Alberta net contribution for that 10 year period was 28 billion. Do you know what the next biggest province was that contributed? Oh no, I, I'm assuming Ontario. Ontario, and could you guess the amount? If Alberta contributed 28 billion, what did Ontario? Just we wild guess. We should be much more, but I, I guess it's not. So I don't know. 30, 30, seven. What? Yeah. Seven. Why? Billion. Because it's based off something with energy uh, we, oil, whether we have more retirees here, or whatever it may be, Ontario, which is allegedly an economic powerhouse <laughs> in, in Canada, contributed oh. a total of 7 billion, BC, 5 billion, Manitoba and Saskatchewan. I'm just grouping them together. 4 billion. And um, 
the East Coast, so Newfoundland, Prince Edward, uh, Prince Edward Island, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, negative about six and a half billion. So they had net outflows. Mm. So now, if we take that math, and obviously, you know, and Quebec, can, you didn't mention Quebec because they have their own I Quebec think they're pension just, plan. They're, they do their own. They have thing, their own right? pension plan. I yeah. guess so. Yeah, they do their own thing. So now imagine the by far the largest contributor. And again, these are numbers from six years ago, but Alberta clearly is by far the largest contributor. If they pull out and say, okay, we're going to manage all our own assets. We're going to manage all our own inflows and outflows. Yeah, got it. Our unfunded liabilities. So basically all of a sudden now there's going to be a net, you know, it, it still would come out positive. But if we look at Canada as an aging country, which we are, all right, more retirees, where's the money, you know, our economy is stagnating for a multitude of different reasons, whatever. We're, we're not good at we're innovation, not we're not right good now. at technology, we're, we're not, not good, good at productivity in general. We're really good at bureaucracy is what we're good at, but that's mm. cost us money, it doesn't make us money. And good at stuffing just a lot of people in the country without planning for housing, healthcare, or transportation. Yeah. Um, so in any event, you can see why, just, just looking at those numbers from a few years ago, they really need Alberta. And if the pension, the Canada pension plan falls apart and starts to really, you know, it starts drawing down its assets, what are the net, you know, what, are, what dominoes fall after that? And so I just found that very interesting, I guess. Um, and so I said Canada is funded, huh. but I was also thinking about, I had heard this story like 10 or 12 years ago, maybe, about the U.S. Social Security. So U.S. Social Security is different, right? It's not a funded like fund yep. that has assets. It's just, we promise to pay you. Do you know the story of the very first recipient of the U.S. Social Security? No. I, I, I swear I heard this. I think it may have been, been, uh, been Peter Schiff who told me who I heard this story from on like his video blog a decade ago. Oh my God, ago. I think I did hear the, hear the story. They, they, they never contributed or they made one payment. What? And yes, go so, on. So yeah. a, a woman named Ida Fuller worked for like a year when the Social Security program came into effect. She was a legal secretary. She retired. Um, in 1939, I, th I think the program had started again, like that year or the year before. Um, she paid during her final working years, $24.75 into Social Security. On her first year in 1940 of retirement, she withdrew $22.54. So she paid in 24, took out 22 in year one. She lived from age 65 when she retired to age 100. During her lifetime, she collected nearly $23,000, having paid a grand total of $24.75. I'm happy someone won. Yeah, someone I'm won the lottery with that plan. someone won. Yeah, someone won the lottery <laughs> with that plan. Um, I just find that, like, it just goes to show, like, that is, in my mind, the definition of a Ponzi, yeah. U.S. Social Security, because, yeah. okay, someone pays in the very first amount, the very first entrant, right? I pay in this tiny amount, and then I just keep getting the payouts yeah. at the end of the day. And how does that plan sustain itself? Well, it's dependent on continuous growth. We must have continuous inflows to pay the ever-increasing outflows. And those inflows must keep growing. And if ever they shrink, while the outflows inevitably also grow, mm -hmm. you, 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 know, you run into the wall. The, the Ponzi scheme collapses. And so that's Social Security in a nutshell, different from the Canadian pension plan. I'm not saying the Canadian pension plan is a, is a Ponzi. I'm just saying it's... They're, well, they're, I mean, we might if... Infl like, just think of the, your... 
your purchasing power that you get, I guess, of anyone who's like, I don't know, 40 years old right now, the purchasing power of whatever they're going to get from the pension. Let's be realistic. Yeah, no, I, I'm, you know, I'm 39 years old mm -hmm. right now. I have my, I pl I'm planning to receive exactly zero for the, for my lifetime mm -hmm. in Canadian pension plan. That's my expectation or whatever I get, you know, we'll buy you a coffee. We'll buy me a coffee, maybe. Um, but it's at the point or it's approaching more quickly. It's accelerating to the point where the amount of inflows are, especially if Alberta pulls out, slowing down. The amount of outflows are necessarily continuing and will grow. You know, run the numbers, do the math. What's the end result? How do you, yeah, disaster. Yeah. How do you reconcile? Because part of me is like, you know what, cheering for Alberta. Oh, pull yeah. out, just pull out. Oh yeah, I'm But sure. then how do you reconcile those friends of yours or those discussions that you must have with people that say, hey, Jesse, I mean, okay, look, uh, yeah, that sounds nice, but it is a bit extreme here because come on, there's this, these people that are about to retire that need to get these, these payments. I mean, you're basically cheering for chaos. Right. How do you reconcile that? Have they not benefited for the last 30, 40, 50 years, right? Where all the upside, they enjoyed all the boom, the good times. And yeah, now there's the bad times. And so who should pay for that? Did they, they enjoyed the excess? Do they not have to have the come down mm -hmm. and sort of deal with Some the fallout kind of too? Or, or have, has not to put it on, you know, the generation before me or anything, but like, are they so coddled and, you know, unprepared and so dependent that we should fund their graceful exit and then we get stuck with absolutely nothing mm. i mean that's that's sort of what's going to happen anyway and Let's i'm not, not, not to sound you're a millennial correct I, I think technically yeah i'm a gen or, x or ge i'm a gen x so let's put it on the generation above beyond me let's go to the boomers yeah the boomers okay? yeah, yeah for sure no because we'll i feel like as a gen x i look at the boomers and then i look at the millennials yeah and i just feel like i'm stuck between these two massive cohorts that are both kind of like yelling and screaming different things and i feel like we're the lost this lost middle here that is like holy smokes what is happening yeah but i mean that's just just observation doesn't really actually matter your point matters in that something needs to be done i'm more of the rip the band-aid off type of person like we can't just have this keep going but that that's exactly it it's you know if we coddle the group that had all the benefits and we'll call it, we'll identify them as the boomers. And maybe that's, you know, it's, it's not any one person's fault, no, right? It it's, a, it's a systemic thing. I mean, we're not yeah. trying to place blame on yeah, any, yeah. any one or thing in particular or anyone in particular. It's the nature of the system that has totally. grown and become, um, they benefited from what it was. It is, it is where it's at now. We, necessarily have to deal with the pain. There's no escaping it. It's just, are we kicking the can again and again and again? Because we've already done it a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. Do we kick the can even further down the road, knowing that for every time we kick it down the road, the pain gets worse when we finally have to deal with it. At some point, someone has to confront the issues and say, okay, we ripped the Band-Aid off, as you said. We deal with the pain, but then we can heal. Mm -hmm. And then we can grow and become better. And there's, you know, it's just some pain now, and yeah, it hurts and it sucks, but we can build and grow and learn from that. Or we don't learn anything. We don't change anything. We keep pushing and going as we are. And then someone else gets to deal with the pain, but it'll be worse later. 
Anyway, sorry, that was uh, no, off, off I mean, topic I mean, of the Bitcoin that like, we were starting no, it's with. it's like such a, yeah, but it's all related. But it's, it's all related, it, yeah. Like, that's why Bitcoin is going up, in, in effect. I can see the next cycle here, the next economic cycle, the next crisis that hits. And I feel like sometimes within the next 12 months, we get some kind of crisis at some size. Like, I don't know, is it the size of the pandemic? Is it the size of the great financial crisis? I have no idea, but it does seem like you can kind of see the writing on the wall. And then the policy response to that is going to be, we know, print money, QE, however you want to call it. And I, I can I can sense that we might survive, the system might survive through that one, but I feel like the acceleration that happens or the accelerated path that we're on now is like, it might survive through that one, but the next one comes super quick. Every time we do, right? And we've already been living crisis to crisis now for a few years, right? We had the great financial crisis, the policies, quantitative easing, money printing, low interest rates that came out of that basically bought us a decade. We got to 2019, 2020, when the underpinnings... Things the were starting to break. Foundation Fall starting, of 2019. Yeah, yeah. The cracks were starting to appear. The, the foundation was starting to shatter. And so COVID comes and we, you know, wh however that came and the whole story, we're not going to go into that here, but it wound up becoming a great excuse to, hey, we're going to print a whole bunch of money. We're going to take on a whole bunch of debt. We need to do this to keep things going, blah, 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 blah. Okay. That's a crisis. That started to fade. The convoy sort of put the end mm -hmm. of that, like, like marked, in effect, the end of that, or the beginning of the end of that. Um, and okay, well, we need a new crisis until the Ukraine war comes along. They got a year and a bit out of that. Mm -hmm. That's gone. Suddenly, I feel like just, it's just vanished. Just, no? Oh, it got memory hold is what happened. It got, it got memory hold. Right. It's just oh, uh, popularity support for that cause was fading dramatically. Right. Everyone had their yeah. sort of Ukraine flags in yep. the bios. Um, and now, the, you know, the the whole counteroffensive, that was sort of the last big push that was made. It, it apparently didn't really go anywhere. We were told for the last year and a half, oh, you know, Ukraine's got this in the bag. Russia's weak. And now there's talk of, well, we need, we need a ceasefire and, and, and peace talks. It's like, yes, you know, the people who never wanted to go to war because war is awful and destructive and like harmful both to humanity and economically and socially. Um, you know, we're saying, hey, like, let's find peace. There were peace options going back before the Ukraine thing came to the forefront to begin with. Whole other story. Um, but regardless, that was losing its steam. And now we have Israel-Palestine. And uh, obviously, I don't want to go into uh, that whole conflict. But it's like we keep going from crisis to crisis. We can... You know, a skeptical person might go, well, the, the timing seems to be coincidental and maybe there is, but and maybe it's not. Maybe it's just the incentives and nature of the world. It just seems to find itself jumping from one thing to the next. Um, but it's problematic. We, we have no stability. We have no foundation of just like building anymore. It's it's just managing things that are falling apart. And it feels like human nature just there will always be human tribes fighting each other over something but then it also feels when you layer in some sort of central planning central banking that almost uses that natural thing to its own kind of manipulated advantage so i, I yeah there's lots of ways where it's you know you can see how the people in different power positions again whether it's in ukraine whether it's in russia whether it's in canada whether it's oh. in the us whether it's in israel whether yeah. it's in palestine whatever the key sort of power players 
seem to push things, push the wrong buttons, and those buttons tend to lead towards, you know, consolidated power for them, less for people, you know, less focus on human flourishing and human prosperity, more focus on protecting some kind of vested interest one way or the other. And that's the opposite of what we need, obviously. So, yeah, how we get away from that, you know, obviously we will talk about Bitcoin fixes this. And, uh, you know, you mentioned Jeff Booth's presentation off the bat. Um, I, I loved I hadn't heard this particular um, angle from him. But when he talks he about Bitcoin, that, he was pretty serious in that talk. Oh, it was amazing. I loved it. I loved it. It's on the YouTube. It's on the Rockstar YouTube channel, by the way, if you want to catch it. Um, he he had never done that particular presentation uh, before. And I thought he really he was a more serious Jeff than I had seen. He yeah. Well, the way he depicted, you know, envision just the the current world we live in and it's sort of crumbling foundations in effect. And then, you know, we, we recognize that we need to get to this other side where things are different and better. And so how do we get there? And he sort of depicted Bitcoin as this bridge over this, you know, crumbling society over to the next one where it'll be built on strong foundation and built tall and beautiful and whatever. Um, and that's a very simplistic take on his presentation because he went into a lot more detail and a lot more things than that. Um, but I found that analogy very compelling. And I think something, I think it's interesting, I, I, I guess with Bitcoin where it is now, in, I started kind of paying attention to it because of the price of it. But it's, it, you know, as you kind of go down the rabbit hole of Bitcoin, you just come to appreciate it at this, so many other levels. That oh, yeah. the, the price is just this one factor to it that doesn't really, oh, this is going to sound silly almost, but like it does matter. But it. Like the fiat dollar price of it is just this one component to what Bitcoin represents to me personally, like maybe not to other people, just to, I can speak of to myself, yeah. to me personally right now, um, that it, it's just like this, it, it opens like your eyes into what could be possible. And I like the way Jeff broke it down when he said, you know, there's a new world emerging that is measuring the rest of the world already. Yeah. And he used an example of his, I think it was his lake house. And he said, you know, when I first priced my lake house in Bitcoin, it would have cost a few years ago, 300 Bitcoin to purchase that lake house. Yeah. Today, if I purchased that lake house, it would cost 50 Bitcoin. Yeah. And that, that's a that's a shift to be able to start thinking like that, right? That's a difficult thing, especially if you don't have Bitcoin, you're never going to do that. But once you have Bitcoin, especially if you've been in it for a little while, you've held it and you start to understand the nature of how it works and why you might want to use it. If you can train yourself to start thinking in terms of, okay, well, dollars are not a good measuring stick for value. Why are dollars not a good measuring stick for value? We'll give you a very simple example. I have $10,000 in the bank account. There are $1 trillion in the Canadian economy, right? Just very round numbers here. So that's point whatever, 001% of all Canadian wealth, whatever the number might be. I might wake up tomorrow and suddenly the Bank of Canada says, oh, you know what? We got a new crisis here. Today, there's $2 trillion in the Canadian economy. We printed an extra trillion. We're going to disseminate it through the banks. They're going to give it a whole bunch of loans to a whole bunch of programs. And we're going to pay a whole lot of bureaucrats to do a whole lot of nothing. Um, my relative share of wealth, 10,000 divided by 1 trillion, is now 10,000 divided by 2 trillion. My relative share of wealth has been cut in half. Why would I measure my wealth when the measuring tape is consistently adjusted and always for the worse? You know, or, or certainly it trends over time always to be for the worse, where... 
if I have my share, it's constantly being diluted. If I measure in Bitcoin, I have a stable measuring stick, that 21 million, that, that amount never changes. But what it can purchase, that changes. Rather than the value going down, because of the nature of Bitcoin, the value happens to go up. And again, you know, there's a million reasons for that. Jeff wrote about it, and I wrote about it, and whatever. Um, but when you start thinking in those terms, you start looking at the world differently. Well, okay, if I have uh, you know, my $10,000, because of the nature of fiat, because I know it's going to get devalued, I try to spend it and get sort of commensurate value for it as soon as I can or invest it in something that I think is going to deliver me returns that'll keep up with the depreciation. Whereas if I have Bitcoin, I can just save it and I don't have to worry about the depreciation because over a long enough timeline, I'm of the opinion for a variety of reasons that the purchasing power will increase. Again, the volatility is more of a short-term thing. Um, but now when I spend, it's okay, I could buy that house that lake house for 300 Bitcoin today. But if I wait a couple years, I could get it for cheaper. And then it becomes a matter of, you know, how many years do I expect to live? How badly do I want that lake house? How many Bitcoin, how many other Bitcoin do I have? So if I spend, I still think I'll have enough for all the other things I might want to do with my life. It changes the nature of how you do economic calculation. It's wild. Yeah. And, ne and the next year brings all these things, which is what I want to talk to you about, this yeah. whole ETF thing. Yeah. But next year, when you think about institutional demand may come in, which I actually don't even care for. Like, I'm just one of those ones that I don't even want the institutional demand. Like, sure, I guess it'll pump the dollar price of Bitcoin, but it's just, it's I don't care for it. But there's institutional demand that looks like it's on the roadmap and there's coming. There's basic things like, I think Michael Saylor led the path to the accounting change in the US, yeah, US the corporations. Yeah, FASB or something. Yeah, where yeah. like if Bitcoin drops, it's not treated as a commodity on the books in some way or some capacity. I'm speaking a little bit out of my depth here, yeah. but if it you can be marked to market essentially. So if yeah. the Bitcoin price adjusts, goes down and back up on your books, you don't have to keep the lowest dollar price. You can, you can kind of mark it back up. So right. it makes it a little easier for treasuries to put it on their books. Yep. So you got institutional demand, you have that. You have the halvening, which is coming up, which not only to me produces half as much Bitcoin as is being produced currently, there's less sell pressure to me as well. And I don't know if you think this way, but um, if the miners who you know have a lot of capital expenditure to build out their mining facilities sell Bitcoin to fund it, if they have half as much to sell, there's just less selling pressure too. It's, a, it's, of it's a natural forcing function for the increasing purchasing power of Bitcoin, right? The fact that Bitcoin gets more scarce over time. If I'm a miner, which I'm not, but if I was a miner, I plan, you know, you, you pay for the most part everything in dollars. And so the last couple of years and probably the last couple of months, okay, you see Bitcoin doing its thing. It's starting to move up, especially the last two months. Okay, how much, how many dollars do I need to sustain myself versus my income at today's price? And then you start projecting into the future and you have to understand, okay, well, I'm going to have my income in Bitcoin terms is going to get cut in half. Does the amount of Bitcoin I earn based on whatever dollar value I'm receiving can I sustain myself on that? If not, either the industry, you know, the industry mm -hmm. gets into a pressurized situation where maybe some guys go under or the Bitcoin price adjusts and that offsets the reduced real income of Bitcoin they receive. But the nominal value of that Bitcoin in dollar terms, if that goes up, well, now they can keep sustaining themselves on less on less mm -hmm. real income, if we're calling Bitcoin real money in dollars, sort of the nominal 
um, fake money. Yeah. So I never, just that line you just said, my income gets cut in half in Bitcoin terms. Like next year, this happens. Yeah. That if you're earning dollar based income in the new production of Bitcoin that's coming out relative to your income, it's a real big shift that's about to happen. There's less, there's half of the supply that's going to come on. You're going to be earning the same income, but there's half the new amount of Bitcoin coming on. Yeah. So if you're a miner, today's price Bitcoin is roughly 35,000 US. How were you doing when Bitcoin was 17? Right. How, how were you surviving when Bitcoin was 17,000 US? Because you're basically going to be back in that situation in a couple months, assuming all things yeah. stay the same, which obviously they won't. But you have to start thinking like that. You, and, but then, yeah, you bring in retail demand and the money printing and the debt that's happening in the background. And you have all these events and, 2024, and an environment. Like yeah. 2024 to me is just like a buckle up year. Um, so I just want to get your thoughts on this whole thing. Like right. with the ETFs that are about to get announced, I don't know, next week or by February or whenever. Whenever, yeah. Um, if a company like, I just think of the gold ETF and how much it bothered me when I first got into gold and became like a gold bug. Like when I, in 2008, when I went down this whole central banking rabbit hole, I became like a gold bug. I was like, holy smokes, I'm going to get real estate in gold. Yeah. And gold went on this nice kind of run until about 2012, 2013 or so. And then it just kind of flattened since yeah. then. And now it's having a little, tiny bit of a renaissance or whatever. But um, during that that era, there was this whole thing that I looked into GLD, the biggest ETF. And I'm like, right. do they really own that? There was this all these theories of like, do they really own the gold they say they own? You're just buying this stuff. And it's just got me thinking that like, I wonder if the original announcement of the ETFs do really drive the price of Bitcoin for a little while, but then longer term, maybe a year, two years, five years, whatever it is, does someone like a BlackRock control so much Bitcoin that they then can... I guess collude with others to manufacture a price, throttle a price, suppress a price of Bitcoin. And it's got me a little bit like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> um, I don't really know if I like this institutional kind of demand. There's another, there's another concern with it that doesn't really bother me, but bother some people that when the ETFs come out, you could see a world where the governments say, "Hey Jesse, if you are going to own Bitcoin, you have to own it within the system. If you have sell, if you're custodying your own Bitcoin, that's for criminals. The only way to to hold Bitcoin is to put it back into the Canadian right. banking, you know, uh, system through an exchange. And as of December thirty first, twenty twenty four, you're never allowed to custody it. You have until then to move it on board. That one actually scares me less. But this whole one of the ETF controlling huge amounts of Bitcoin. What's your thoughts on that?" Have you thought I, about it a little bit? Do you I've care about of, that? No, no, no. I, I've thought about it a little bit. Um, I, I'm not as scared okay. about it. And I think part of the reason has to do with, if you remember the block wars or know about the block wars yeah. from 2017, right? Where um, a few miners, Bitcoin entrepreneurs, exchanges, right? They, they wanted to call it dictate certain terms to Bitcoin say we it was a uh, the block height they wanted the, the amount of megabytes or uh, or kilobytes that would be in every block they wanted to change it so that they they thought they could pack more transactions into each into each block um, and they thought that would solve quote solve air quotes the, the scaling issue um, sorry that I shouldn't put scaling issue in air quotes that's a, that's an issue but it's an issue that I think has uh, solutions um, you had an example of a group of very, very influential people who controlled a lot of Bitcoin, 
a lot of mining power and just a lot of influence in general, I would say, in terms of they had been in the world of Bitcoin for a long time. They were known entities and players who were sort of, you know, Bitcoin celebrities of that time, to some of them to some extent. Um, their venture, their, their, their objective, they failed basically at what they tried to do, and it killed their credibility. I think about that possibility of like a BlackRock as, okay, you know, we, we talk about financial institutions in general and the financial system in general, its credibility is weakened and weakening with all the different measures they're taking. Right. I, I saw there was a, you know, RBC, I think is reducing the amount the the interact limit. You could not interact. Yeah, that's your right. E-transfer limit, right? There's all kinds of ways they're trying to squeeze people to say, you know, your financial transactions, you can do less and less and less with more and more oversight. We're making it more burdensome, et cetera, et cetera. That's them, in effect, reducing their own credibility. So when I think about the ETF, I think about it similar to that. If they were to try to, okay, we're going we're gonna to hurdle people in. We're going to say, yeah, you know, buy Bitcoin with us in the ETF because that way, you know, in your retirement account or your TFSA or whatever, you can have Bitcoin. Or if you're in the States, you're Roth or IRA or mm -hmm. whatever it's called. I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't know much from the US. It's safe. It's a safe way to do it's it. It's a safe secure. way to own Bitcoin. What it really is, though, is, you know, I used to work in investment management. It's as an investment advisor, I couldn't say to a client necessarily, hey, go out and buy Bitcoin, because if you do that, you're going to take money off of my books. I make money on on fees, right? If I have a million, you're, you own a million dollars of assets. If if you keep a million dollars in my in my book, you know, I make whatever, half a percent or whatever it is on, on the fees. If I say, you know what, you should have 10% of your assets in Bitcoin. Well, $100,000 walks out my door. And now I'm making, you know, my percent on 900,000 instead of a million. I want it. I want to make my money on a million. So advisors couldn't advise people to buy Bitcoin. An ETF makes it so that they can. It gives the traditional financial system an excuse to actually start getting into Bitcoin. I don't think we're going to see, you know, people saying, oh, well, now I'm going to keep the, the people who have stored their Bitcoin in cold storage say, well, now that the ETF is here, I'm sure glad I can store my Bitcoin with a bank. Like, I don't see any real Bitcoiners doing no. that. I think yeah. um, when price when I should, I should say if whatever, but let's assume price goes up in the future for a host of different reasons. Um, obviously, some people are going to sell, but there's all, someone on the other end of that transaction buying. I think there's people have done different uh, math analysis on this, but there's like you know 12 or 13 million Bitcoin that are said to be basically off the market in cold storage. Those are basically almost never going to come out of out of storage. Um, there's two to three million that float typically on exchanges, and that number has been dwindling. And there's a few million that are lost. And so if we're saying the ETFs are going to come in and they're going to start competing basically for that two to three million, and if price goes up a lot, okay, we're adding another million, but that's not necessarily a million that's going to go all to, to the ETFs. It's going to go partially back to some holders who still are, are going to keep buying at any price, like Michael Saylor, who's just, I'm buying at any price. I'm going to buy every top forever. Um, that's what he said. And he's right. He should be. And we all should be. Um, I don't see it so much as the Black Rocks and the Vanguards can then swoop in and try to change the rules of Bitcoin. That's not to say they won't try. They could try. But they would just end up shooting themselves in the foot the same way the big blockers did with the block wars. And all of a sudden, and then people would say, you know what? 
don't want to deal with you and your ETF anymore and you guys don't add any value and Bitcoin's value proposition is not to have custodians anyway. And also now we're a couple of years down the road and you know, you, wallets are easy now. We can download on our phone. It takes two minutes to set up a, a phone with a, a private key. It's, it's nothing. It's really easy to do now. It's going to be even easier. Will get easier. It, it'll it'll get even easier, more common, more understanding. There there. How easy a blue wallet is right now, just on your phone. Like now, it's it's just ridiculous. It, it's and it works. Yeah. And and if you lose your phone, you you can still have that private key and and get access to your coins on a different computer, on a different phone, on a different device. So long as you have that key, and they tell you, this is your key. Don't lose this. Write it down. Don't lose this. It's very clear. Um, so, I. I'm not overly worried, but that's also because I'm thinking that the game theory will play out the same way it's played out over and over again with Bitcoin, where, yes, someone always wants to come in and co-opt it or manipulate it, but they can't. And it, it just it backfires because that's the way Bitcoin has managed to be set up. And if Bitcoin is going to be what we expect it to be, that has to it's happen. It's going to have to. That has to happen because if it could be co-opted, and they, you know, the government says, "Oh, yeah. everyone's got to." It hasn't accomplished what we wanted to accomplish. If, if everyone yep. has to, you know, have whitelisted coins and it has to be tracked on your bank, then it's not Bitcoin anyway. Then it's then it's nothing. It's not it's not serving the purpose it was designed for. And I think enough people that hold Bitcoin and buy Bitcoin and care about Bitcoin know that and understand that and are doing what they can to practice that and improve their practices as they do it. Like I, you know, I see people in the Bitcoin world all the time. Hey, it's, you start with a wallet and then, okay, well now I have a, I want to have a node and a wallet. Okay. And then I want to have a node and a wallet. I'm going to do my own multi-signature scheme. And, and then I'm going to do coin joins so that I can, I can make my transactions more private. And you just keep adding the layers and improving how you do things with Bitcoin. And I, I mean, I see that happening and that's for some of the people that we know that are really into it and getting it. But the, the deeper they dig, the more they can tell other people, hey, look what I found. I found all this stuff and they, that knowledge can proliferate and people will practice it and it'll become easier to do. Yeah, I feel like, you know, when I first got on the Internet, I had to like break open my desktop computer and stick in a modem and like install some firmware, you know, or update the firmware of the modem and then connect it to a phone line and have like this dial up account to be able to connect to the Internet. And I just feel like now people open their iPhone and they're connected to the Internet and it's that simple. And, it's and Bitcoin's just going through the same process where like yeah. the hardware wallet kind of sort of still feels a little bit like the early internet of like, hey, I got to like get this thing working. How do I do it? You know, what are you talking about? Seems complicated, but you can extrapolate out just like 36 months and, and, and you see it. And then something with like a blue wallet is so simple. I want to ask you about your favorite heart, favorite or preferred, <laughs> preferred hardware wallets in yep. a second. Somebody published this chart up here and it said, on the ETF, if you put in like, you know, a Bitcoin uh, in the ETF at a 1% fee over 30 years, yeah. you lose about 26, 27% of your value just from a 1% ETF fee. So like if you bought like, you know, $100,000 or $1,000 or $100, whatever it is, and just left that Bitcoin in that ETF, just the 1% fee over 30 years, because you were buying it, you said, you know, you're, you said you're 39 and you wanted it at 69 years old, yeah. you're actually going to lose 26, 27%. You might as well just take custody of the Bitcoin because you don't need to be paying anybody 1% to be holding your Bitcoin. Yeah. But when you see it like that on this chart, and I know anyone listening to this, you can't see the chart that we're pointing at, but that's that's just astonishing. 1% over 30 years, you lose about 26% of the purchasing power of your Bitcoin. That's the same 
sort of analogy that, you know, the uh, the Robin Hoods or the Quest trades or whatever that they use, they said, oh, yeah, you know, you could pay your mutual fund manager 3% or you could do your own trades and it'll only cost you, you know, this much and this is how much you'll save. It's, it's the same idea, right? Um, what is your favorite hardware? Do you have like a hardware? And the reason I'm asking you that is there's a whole bunch of rock star people for sure that own Bitcoin and yep. they've been coming to me over the last few weeks specifically. I think the price is moving a little bit. Yeah, you know, people everyone. are talking about it again and they're saying, okay, Tom, I really need to get a hardware wallet. Like I'm, I, I don't want to, you know, kind of whisper it. I don't want to admit to you because you've said this for a long time, but my Bitcoins are an exchange. Yeah. Where do you tell people to go first? What's your preferred hardware wallet? Yeah. So preferred would be cold card, right? made in Canada, just so happens they're made in Canada, but they happen to be basically the best dedicated Bitcoin hardware wallet. Um, some might say it's it's a little more technical to use. It's really dummy proof though. Like when you open it and power it on and set it up, it walks you through the steps. You can't really mess it up. There's tutorials online. It's super, super, like it's, it's very doable for, if you can use a cell phone, you can manage to, or a smartphone, I should say, you can manage to use a cold card. Um, if you want something that's more dummy proof, you know, the treasures and ledgers of the world, they're not my favorite because you can buy all kinds of other shit coins with it. And so by nature of that, you know, they have to be able, the, the, the software or the firmware has to be able to accommodate all kinds of other stuff. So they can't, they're not as focused on the security as a cold card is like cold card is, is a very powerful tool. It has all kinds of functions that those other ones don't have, but for the average retail person who just wants something simple, you're better off having a treasure or a ledger, even if it's a little easier to use in a cold card than, than leaving it on exchange mm -hmm. without question. Um, so those are options for you. And um, I think the key on that is that as long as you secure your seed words, yeah. Doesn't matter what happens to the hardware wallet, really. Yeah, the, as long as you've secured those words, you can buy another hardware wallet, get those words back out, and then restore access to your Bitcoin using those seed words. Yeah. So anyone who's thinking it might be complicated, it comes down to securing those seed words. Is that? Yeah. No. No. For sure. Um, the seed words are effectively your Bitcoin. That's that's the literal key you stick in the lock, and any computer can be your lock. You can download a new lock anywhere in the world, and then just turn the key. Um, so yes, having those words is the most paramount thing. All the devices do it for you. The difference between a cold card and maybe a Trezor or Ledger is Trezor and Ledger, you would connect to your internet connected computer while you generate a private seed or private key. And so theoretically, even though the, the, the seed is generated on the device and the device has a, you know, is technically somewhat separated maybe somehow some crazy way, far-fetched way that really hasn't quite been discovered, um, someone could steal your seed. I don't think it's very likely. The only way that any either of those two devices have been hacked is when they're physically compromised. Um, with a cold card, you can generate your private key offline, meaning I could plug my cold card into a wall or a battery, um, and, and it'll generate my private key. And, and so, and it's not a Bluetooth connected device or a Wi-Fi connected device. So I've generated a key completely absent the internet that has never, and, and you can use it in such a way that it never even has to touch the internet. Um, so anyway, it's, it is the superior device in my mind. And then you connect that to software, right? You would download, whether it's Blue Wallet, whether it's- um, Sparrow. Sparrow's a great one. Um, Wasabi, whatever. There's a whole bunch of options. Um, you could connect the hardware to the software. 
So I started with a, a nano, and now that I'm in the cold card, which is in the Ledger family. Sorry, yeah, 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 the Ledger Nano X is that the one? I, yeah, there's a couple different okay. Ledgers, but um, yeah. the cold card is really cool because I had never used the Sparrow desktop. Yeah, and that desktop software that interact is kind of like how I'm interacting with the cold card device. Yeah, and um, you know, cold card signs the transaction. Yeah, and the Sparrow wallet's kind of like my visual representation on my desktop yeah. of like what's happening. But I didn't realize that it had this like UTXO thing where it kind of like really specifically shows you what's happening with your Bitcoin. And I guess maybe this is way too technical for most people, but to me it was like, I was just kind of geeking out. I'm like, this is wild. Like I'm actually understanding under the covers of Bitcoin at a better level because of this device and forcing me to use Sparrow. I really appreciated seeing all this stuff. I just learned how Bitcoin works at a, maybe a more deeper level. Yeah, it helps you visualize it a yeah. little bit better. Uh, and Wasabi does a similar oh, does thing it? Where, where you can label each transaction and you can... Oh, okay. Yeah, so like... And Wasabi's like a desktop? Wasabi? Yeah, desktop. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. It, okay. Uh, Sparrow is okay. you know, compa yeah. very comparable. And Sparrow yeah. is excellent. Like, I, I, Got like it. I like Sparrow a lot. Um, but yeah, the fact that you can, you know, label each transaction as it comes in whenever you generate a receive address. I love it. Um, so you say, okay, this I received for this, you know, I sold yeah. a book. Okay, this yeah. person gave me this knives, whatever I got yeah. for something else. I'm receiving, you can label them all. And then when you spend, you can choose, okay, I'm going to spend from this side or the other. And these are like, you know, if you're caring about your privacy or who sees the, the, the history of your transactions, like, okay, I don't want them to know that it connected to this one, but I can let them see from this and it's this amount or that amount. Anyway, there's, that's a whole rabbit hole. You, you know, could spend a lifetime, it, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, UTXO management, unspent transaction output management is a whole sort of field and of study. And you don't need to practice. go into it. You don't even need to go into it other than... Yeah, this is not... So, this is like... No, you know, too, this is several layers deep. Too deep. Yeah, yeah, maybe too deep. But there is this one point on UTXO management that's getting a little bit interesting to me is that some people are anticipating the price of Bitcoin to go up and that fees are going to go up. And there's just this talk of like, hey, you better do some UTXO management because as the fees get really high, if you have these small UTXOs, you might have a problem that you're just gonna have this Bitcoin that's locked up and you can't, it's unusable. What are, and I don't know if I'm articulating this properly, yeah. Jesse, can you talk about that just a little bit? So that's, I would say maybe a little bit more out of my depth than the, the But technical. have you heard this discussion? Oh yeah, no, I've heard, I've heard okay. that discussion do for sure. Do you do any UTXO management yourself yet? Um, not a ton. Okay. <laughs> I'd say okay. I, 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 yeah, I don't want to go into it, but uh, not a ton, okay. let's say. Okay. Um, and that's not, you know, it's something that I think a little bit about, but I also, I'm at the point where, so I have an MK3, which is the cold card from a few years ago now. They have the MK4 is the current one. So sort of an updated version of the MK3 and they're coming out with the Q1. So the MK4 and MK3 and the previous MK models, they look like little calculators and they're, they're much smaller than you would think. Yeah. Whole, it's like yeah. the size of, if we're yeah. on video, sort of the yeah. size of this thing. That, you know, that's a full Bitcoin you're you holding in your hand. That's a yeah. real Bitcoin. You can okay? see it in my hand. I was going to give you that as a gift. Okay? This is that's basically, a, yeah, it's a, a full Bitcoin. actual Bitcoin. Thank you. I'll put it in my pocket. Um, <laughs> that's the size of a cold card, basically. Um, but yeah, the Q1, so the, Q, uh, the, cold, the MK series, looks like a calculator the q1 looks like a blackberry yeah kind of, you yeah, see that like the pictures yeah just for like if you're going to regenerate your seed on a device 
typing on a full keyboard is a lot easier than the numeric oh thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it'll also have a camera so you can scan QR codes, which you can't do right now. So it's going to have a couple new features. I think it's coming out in the new year, early in the new year. So I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to get that. When I do that, then I might do some UTXO yeah. management because then I'm going to move around. And, then, so, and what's your prediction, I guess, over the next little while of what's going to happen in the US? I, I mean, Luke Groman has this awesome chart. Actually, let me show you this chart because he has this chart where he kind of shows the US deficit and he basically, I'm gonna put this up on the screen, then we can kind of outline it for anyone yeah. listening, is he has this chart, let me see if I can make it full screen even. He has this chart that basically says, the current deficit in the US is about six, per, uh, it's about uh, 7% of GDP. Right. So it's currently about seven, 8% of GDP. And then if we're hitting a recession, every time the US goes into a recession, the deficits increase by about six to 12% of GDP, right. which would mean that the US deficit, if we are going into a recession in the US, is about to hit 14 to 20% of GDP. Sure. And so the amount, <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, no, I know. But and so the amount of not only money printing coming our way, that interest rates going forward, the, they might be in a world where, you know, we're going to go into a world of higher rates than maybe we think is normal. And I think Luke's thinking around that is that if you have this much money printing, the bond market's really just not going to be able to stay at a lower, relatively lower rate to today. No. And it's going to be at a higher rate, even with something like yield curve control, we might be looking at rates of like 12% and inflation of like 18%. When you, see, I guess I'm preaching to the yeah. choir. I'm yeah, yeah, sorry, the choir. no, I'm, I'm still listening. Sorry, I'm, I'm, but, I'm but, nodding along. But when yeah. you see this, because like he's just showing the math, like we really are in the in the current state of the world. The U.S. really is at this much of a deficit, and historically, six to twelve percent or six to twelve points of GDP get added during a recession. Like the next U.S. deficit, the U.S. deficits could be astronomically large. Interest payments are about to hit a trillion dollars on an annualized basis, and the Canadian dollar has to stay cheaper. Yeah. And less expensive than an American dollar, which we, which means we have to have lower rates than they do or pump more money into the system. Yeah. I mean, when you see that, what comes to mind? Uh, it's all falling apart. Get out by Bitcoin. <laughs> that's yeah. that's more or less what comes to mind is it's this like this isn't the real world. When I look at this, this this isn't what serious people do, right? Just spend ad infinitum, right? Just spend it to eternity. This is not a serious. This is a clown world issue, is what it is. Um, I, economically, like you know, I, I I think it's all a joke. <laughs> like it's a yeah. sick joke yeah. that they're playing on us. And we have and and for the most part, we've been playing along. But now I, you know, I'm, I'm happy. I, I don't pay attention anymore because I'm almost like, okay, I'm done playing your stupid game. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, there's a lot of money riding on it, so people have to do this analysis. And it's, it's not to say it's not important, but maybe it's not that important. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Sorry, I'm. Um, it's no, probably no, the right. answer you were thinking you were going to get. No, no, here, no, no. But. You're right, and I just think it's an important thing for people like we play in the real estate world a lot. So if you're holding property, your biggest variable is really the interest rate. You can kind oh, of yeah. manage vacancies, you can manage maintenance, you can plan for expected maintenance. What you can't plan for, especially in Canada with five-year renewals, is you can't plan for interest rate movements by the central bank. Yeah, and I think most people have accepted that interest rates are going to come down. It's kind of like interest rates are going to come down, and yeah. 
I could argue that they are going to come down. Like I can make the case for sure. Holy smokes, things are kind of breaking. They gotta bring rates down. Yeah. The mortgage renewals in this country and in the US really require lower rates. Otherwise the banks- Hey, it, are, it would also make Justin Trudeau look good if suddenly things would, got more affordable when election the, time came election around. election in 2025 yep. or whenever he would call it, you're yep. starting to look good. The US is going to an election cycle. Yeah, so maybe they drop rates. Yeah. Coming down, but then, I can see a world that has low rates for a little period of time because of all these factors. Yeah. But then quickly thereafter, I can see a rebound of both inflation and yeah. higher rates, maybe both to higher levels than today. Yeah. And I think oh, yeah. that's what people are not prepared for. Yeah, I I could I can definitely envision a world where rates are far beyond where they are today. Again, we're talking several years out, most likely. Sure. But it doesn't have to be. No. It, it could be in the yeah. short term. But, um, you know, Argentina had, what, 50% interest rates, I think, they, or they, they have 100% interest rate right now, or maybe that's Turkey or something. But in any event, there are countries around the world that are, you know, somewhat respectable, I guess, economically, to some degree, um, that deal with these very high rates, very high rates. Canada has been in a fortunate position where we're sort of the baby brother to the U.S. that just, you know, we get to walk in their big footsteps and follow their path. And it's made things somewhat easier. But we're going to go down before they're going to go down. And I'm not talking about rates. I mean, just economic yeah, decline. Sure. sure. Um, and in that situation, I mean, they're, they've basically shown that when inflation rears its head, they, they look to interest rates as a tool to try to control it. Not that it's going to control it, but that's what they think it does. So, yeah, we can definitely see much higher rates than we've ever been accustomed to. And we had high interest rates right in the 80s. Right. My, my parents had the 18 percent mortgage at one point. I had 16 and a half. Yeah. yeah. So it's not. And, and that was we were in a much better economic situation at that point. So if we get into a much worse debt to GDP ratio, all kinds of other factors. Sh why not? Like, like bust out of your, you know, bubble of, well, we've, it's been this way. And so it's going to keep being that way. No, 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 no. Don't think like that. So let's break out the crystal ball. I say next year, 2024, yeah. they, you know, election in the U S is a big deal. Oh yeah. Huge. So they're going to, to me, the powers that be in the U S the central bank, the treasury, they're going to stimulate the U S economy. They've tried to keep rates super high to me for as long as possible yes, I agree. to try to control inflation. Yeah. Knowing that next year they're going to need to cut, they need to cut, to, they to, need to, to have some fun. Yeah. To they appease need, everyone. Yeah. They need to throw some money. They're going to say how great the economy looks. And I just feel that that movement might get out of control and bring their inflation roaring back that really hasn't been quelled entirely. Like it's come down a great deal. Sure. I'm not going to yep. argue that it hasn't. If we just look around at the economy, definitely things have slowed down. Yep. So things are increasing in price, but maybe the rate of change has come down. Yep. But then after 2024, I feel like they're not going to be able to keep a lid on things. And the, the, the repercussions of this next liquidity movement is going to be a little sketchy for them to get out of. And oh. that's where I can't see past that because 2024 seems logical to me. Lower rates, throw money, asset prices go up, you know, maybe the Bitcoin price pumps, you know. Yeah, I, I, I agree, like just sort of trying to be rational and, and, and say, okay, this is if you were, you know, in that power seat and what do I need to to keep, you know, my, my, my grip, yeah, my grip on power and to appease the people to such a degree to placate them just enough, right? What do I need? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Will that actually play out? I mean, obviously we don't know, 
But it's like that, that seems like it could very well be the playbook, especially they've done it aggressively, raised it so aggressively. If you think of it just like trying to visualize the chart, right, nothing goes up in a straight line. No. So if we've just had this big thrust upwards, then sure, you can see that dramatic pullback. Not that it's going to go all the way back down, but you could have that 30% retrace, 50% retrace. And you do that for a few months or six months or a year, probably not a year, but you know, you do that for a little while and that sort of buys you that little bit of time and goodwill just before you, the market does its thing again. Um, I could see it. I could see it playing out. Jesse, who wins the next U.S. election? Oh, I have no idea. Come on, give yeah, us an answer. No, you don't no. follow this stuff. Who wins it? No, I have no idea. Um, when well, is, well, is it a fair election or is it a rigged election? Just, it is what it is. <laughs> I don't know if what's fair or real. I don't, like, I don't even rigged. know what's real anymore. I don't know what's real anymore. Um, who wins the next, if you, if you, what about this? Who wins the next Canadian election? Um, nobody. I mean, like, we all lose as Canadians <laughs> with the next election. Same with Americans. Nobody yeah. wins. There may be a politician who wins, but we're not going to win. Where are we in the fourth turning pattern? You know that cycle of the fourth turning? Yeah. Where, I, are, where, where, where are we there? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not... I, I'm familiar with it in, uh, you know, from bird's eye view. I'm sort of, I'm sort of that uh, jack of all trades, master of none type, right? Um, but let me, well, let me ask you this. You can see that going forward, there's a lot of- There's change happening. There's change. Oh, yeah. When do we get to a point where some stability, or maybe to use Jeff's language, uh, you know, a bit of a bridge gets built that offers um, a new system in a real way to people. Are we here for a turbulent time for the next three years, five years, 10 years? Yeah, I'm, ho years? I'm hoping not five years, but it could easily dry out that long. I, um, I actually, I, I wanted to mention something. We were talking about the ETF before, and I promise this is gonna be somewhat related. Mm. Um, one of the points that I had, uh, had saw online, I think it was either yesterday or two days ago, Hong Kong wants to come out yes. right with, with an ETF, right? Crypto Hayes, yeah, Arthur right. Hayes yeah, had yeah, posted yeah, this yeah. and you know, we, we, you talked about, okay, sort of ETF as this sort of potential financial capture tool, but w what the flip side that we didn't think about it was, but it also was like a, a, you know, a warning that went up in, in uh, China where they go, oh, shoot, like Americans are going to have quasi access to Bitcoin and crypto. Well, we need to compete with that. And you have this sort of nation state game theory playing out where they're saying, well, we're going to maybe have spot ETFs. And so, sure, that that gives me hope. And so when they now are in effect sort of openly competing or, or at least there's talk of now we're kind of, we have to compete about this. The, all the detrimental stuff, Bitcoin going up fixes a lot of that because now the purchasing power. So the purchasing power of Bitcoin, if you think about it, it's instead of grifters and politicians who earn not like they didn't earn the money they spend when they spend on pork belly programs, right? They just they make it up. They just, oh, well, we want to spend on this. And then uh, Christy Freeland goes, yep, let me drop a budget. And just makes up a bunch of numbers. And then, okay, well, we don't. companies. Did you hear that yeah, one Senate hearing? Yeah, of <laughs> course, right? So all this, all this nonsense. Oh, okay, we make up a bunch of numbers. And then, oh, well, the number, the, the budget didn't balance itself like we hoped it would. So the Bank of Canada is going to step in and finance the rest of it. And we, we're going to say we don't finance it, but we're, oh, that's because we're buying it in secondary markets, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> I had a funny thread on that on Twitter a while ago. Sorry. Anyway. Um, Hong Kong, Hong Kong, Hong Kong, I, yeah. coming back to Hong Kong. So 
instead of the politicians and the grifters and the uh, collectivist parasites having power and purchasing power, Bitcoin going up transfers power to the nerds and the tinkerers and the innovators and the people and the builders. And so that competition that's playing out at that nation state level translates to returned purchasing power and economic power and therefore influence to the people who actually build things. And it's not to say that all Bitcoiners build things equally and whatever, but generally speaking, there's this understanding that right proof of work means put in work to get something done. There's no freebies. And so if Bitcoin goes up, okay, well, you can print all the money and devalue things, but we're still going to be able to get stuff done. So all this to say, Bitcoin is a, uh, a counterweight that is somewhat unexpected and and the game theory again it's like how is this all going to play out and we you know I, we just brought the hong kong example of oh yeah that changes the, the nature that we well, initially thought the el salvador example remember how it was only like two years ago i feel like the imf was saying el salvador is financially ruined yeah because it, of them going and allowing bitcoin to be a a monetary you know a monetary good inside their country they're going to denominate some of their debt in bitcoin or issue some new bonds in bitcoin this is horrendous they're going down that one professor at some university was just ripping on them forever of course now yeah. their credit rating in the last few months is they're paying is, down uh, that they're paying down bond. their debt right they're paying down their in debt. advance early yeah. <laughs> they're they paying down some of the 2027 debt debt free yeah they're to be on the path to be debt free i mean so you can just see like that's an incredible change i'm surprised we haven't seen more nation states just jump onto that bandwagon it, i think it's slowly Coming. percolating yeah. and yeah there's a lot of stuff that goes into that right yeah. el salvador just happened to be in this Tiny, it was unique. it was it was very unique in this little sweet spot. This yeah. whatever, um, but yeah. Coming back to what we were talking about before about the sort of stability versus the instability, the instability accelerates, but the instability fuels the stabilizers, like the state the stability builders in a sense. Because the more instability they create, the more power they're giving away, and the people who are taking the power back are the people who create stability. And I'm talking yeah. about Bitcoiners, yeah. right, in that sense. Yeah. Because, again, if my Bitcoin, instead of being worth $35,000 like it is right now, U.S., if it's worth $250,000, well, I can do a hell of a lot more with it if I want to, if I want to deploy it, if I think it's worthwhile. Mm -hmm. I can actually start creating value for others, mm -hmm. whether it's building a business and, you know, investing to build a business, uh, building real estate, wh whatever it may whatever. be, right? There's a million different things. Um, so I, I, I think that the counter force the bridge that jeff talked yeah. about it's already there and exists people are already taking it and using it and its impact and influence is is obviously not well understood at a wide scale right general financial market analysts yeah. right they have no clue what bitcoin yeah. really is and what it no. really is going to no. do to people and how it's yes. how it's really changing things um but it's changing things without question and it's going to change people and it's so I, I, I'm, it, it, I'm trying to give credit to no, that. No, but notion. you're right, actually. When I think of the, what you're saying is it, it changes someone like myself even because the way I'm going to deploy my capital going forward, there's a couple things. I, if I am saving in Bitcoin and I believe what it is, I'm going to be really choosy in what projects I decide to fund. Yeah, well, you and, only have so much Bitcoin and it's hard to get more, right? It's and then hard. the project that I'm going to fund, it better look like it's going to have a great return or have a great impact. Yeah. To have a great return, it's got to produce a lot of value to society. Yeah. Unlike now where you could have borrowed cheaply for essentially the last multiple decades yeah. and it was just 
borrow money and spend it doesn't really matter what you produce yeah, because they're throwing money at the wall whatever throwing money and you could borrow it at like two percent so who cares just so, produce anything and you'll likely get a return on your investment because that's the barrier that's the hurdle rate that you have to beat but if bitcoin's really going to be what we think it's going to be people are going to be really choosy with the projects they yeah. pick and that project better have a good value to the economy to actually earn the return it, that it would need to earn it'll either have yes good sort of returns in terms of the economic value, or I don't know if do you ever talk about Noster on here? Rarely, but go ahead. Um, Explain what it is, maybe. Sure. So Noster stands for notes and other stuff transmitted by relays. It is a, uh, we'll call it decentralized social media. Yeah. So it's- um, Like a Twitter. Like a Twitter, but there's no like Twitter corp that owns all your tweets. Nobody owns the tweets. You can run your own server and- you can keep all your own posts. You can help relay other people's posts. It's a way of just, again, relaying through channels that are interconnected where there's no one central server. Run on top of the Lightning Network or no? No, 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 no. It's, it's not completely, it, separate, it completely separate from Bitcoin. It just happens to adhere to the principles and ethos of Bitcoin, and they've incorporated tipping via Lightning Network. So if someone posts something and I go, oh, that's really insightful. If Luke Roman posts that chart and I go, oh, that's really insightful. I like that. Boom, I'll send him 100 sats. Thanks for sharing this. I learned something from you doing this work. So it's a way of your, you can sort of pay creators directly because they've incorporated Bitcoin because Bitcoin's just a protocol just incorporated in. Like YouTube could do it, but obviously yep. they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, so in any event, um, where was I going? Yeah, that's- Oh, so, so sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm, <laughs> I'm cutting you off. <laughs> you go. Um, Noster was developed by a couple of Bitcoiners. How and why were they able to do it? Because- Bitcoin gave them a degree of freedom that they, okay, they don't need that nine to five sort of job that was keeping them chained and using all their energy and sucking the soul, like the life out of them. Um, They were free to do as they Killing them slowly. Yeah, they were free to do things they were truly interested in that they thought would add value, that they thought was fascinating and interesting. And now it's starting to, you know, it's a niche without question. It's a niche right now. But like Jack Dorsey has abandoned Twitter and he's dedicating himself to working on this. Him and NVK, who makes Cold Card, they did a presentation. They had Nostrasia. They had a conference in Asia for Noster just uh, like a couple of days ago um, where NVK unveiled sort of a new thing that he's working on. Again, he builds Cold Cards, but now he's taking the the Q1, that new BlackBerry type. Uh, so it's called Sats Link. Basically, it's he, he's coming out with a device where, and it's not for Noster per se. It's just a communications tool. Like he's now thinking of, oh, like Noster has opened my mind. Maybe I can think about communication in a different way. And I'm going to maybe take some of the stuff and the elements I've built, and maybe I can use them a little bit differently to to for free communications. Huh. Um, and I, free is not maybe the operative word, but unimpeded communication. Um, in any event, all that to say. When people are saying, okay, well, I'm abandoning that sinking ship, that instable sinking ship, and now I'm giving myself the ability to do and build things, and these things are going to be useful and beneficial to people, like that, that trend is already happening and has been happening for several years. Mm-hmm. And it's Bitcoin, the more Bitcoin goes, the more it accelerates that because suddenly now there's that many more people who had that foresight of, oh, I bought Bitcoin two or three years ago. And yeah, you know, it, it was, or even last year, right? It was down, it was at 17,000 at the lows, it's doubled from here. Hey, like, 
this is this is good. I'm I I you know maybe I'm feeling a little stronger when I walk into the office. Don't talk to me that way, boss. I don't you know <laughs> totally. Don't don't take that tone with me. Hey, listen, I'm a Bitcoiner now. You know what happened in here a lot of time, when when Bitcoin hit about thirty four thirty five thousand, everyone was like, oh, it's about half of the all time yeah. high. But if you doubled your Canadian balance, so some people I know have Canadian, they look at the balance in Bitcoin and Canadian dollars, yeah. which is normal. But you're you're kind of tracking the price in U.S. dollars. But when they looked at their Canadian price of Bitcoin, if they uh, or value of Bitcoin in Canadian dollars. When they doubled it, so they, yeah. if they said, oh my gosh, if Bitcoin doubles from this US price, it'll hit the all-time high again. But my Canadian dollar balance is going to be well Even beyond. Higher. Yeah, they were like, it's, I'm about 15% ahead of where I was the last time Bitcoin was an all-time high. Yeah. I love that people were talking about that because now they were starting to think about currencies. Yeah. And the value and devaluation of currencies yeah. and Bitcoin's protecting you. And this is the whole conversation I want people to have that this is exactly it. The purchasing power of Bitcoin is going up over time, yes. whether you want to see. And is it volatile right now? Absolutely. But over long, medium and long term, yeah. is this something you want to pay attention to? Absolutely. Yeah. And then again, you know, if we're talking about the, the instable world that we see coming, the interest rates and all this stuff. How do I extricate myself from that to some degree or insulate myself to some degree? Okay, great. I have this I have this tool and it's So what do you think about then the US government say or and the Canadian government saying, Hey, you know what? ETFs are out now. Hey Jesse, you have till December thirty first, twenty twenty four. You gotta put your Bitcoin back into like a Canadian regulated exchange or you're not complying in Canada and you're never going to be able to. Do you yeah, what's no, the probability of that? No, okay, so yeah. I know you might not do it. But what do you think the probability of that is? I, I think it's Low? actually a little bit lower okay. than maybe like the fear level might suggest. And part of the reason is Bitcoin is percolating up the chain a little bit. Did you see Joel Lightbound, an MP from Quebec the yeah, other day? Yeah, that's right. I did see that. Right. Yes. So we have, so Joel Lightbound, I forget what committee he was, um, I don't know if he, I th he's either the chair, I think he's the chair of some committee on innovation, whatever, in, in parliament. He's a liberal French or Quebec or, you know, MP heads this, uh, th this, uh, this board or this committee, pardon me. Um, he stood up in parliament and said, this was on October 31st. So in Halloween this year, he stood up in parliament. He goes, I want to acknowledge that today is the 15 year anniversary of the Bitcoin white paper where Satoshi Nakamoto gave people, um, you know, economic and social freedoms, this, that, and the other. And I want to uh, encourage my progressive followers that this adheres to our values and we should be, you know, considering this and adopting this. So he, he was, um, I mentioned the committee he was on because he had something to do with sort of blockchain quote regulation or something that, I remember uh, someone in, in in politics I was talking to was like very worried about it. And then I said, hey, by the way, this guy, Joel, happens to be the chair and he seems to be kind of favorable. And he's like, oh, that's great. I didn't realize this. Da, da, da. And so now I see Joel do this and he stood up and in parliament, he goes, and by the way, just out of full disclosure, I own Bitcoin. Right. He said that as he, part of he's his a federal MP. Yeah. Joel Lightbound um, I, owns yeah, Bitcoin. I, I he said it. And he was conservative. He's a liberal. He's a liberal. I didn't even know that. And I've seen the talk. I just watched it briefly. Yeah, I'm no, like, no. Oh, that's a conservative. No, he's a liberal. He stood up in parliament and he said, yeah. I own Bitcoin. Thanks. Thank you, Satoshi. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like he said that in parliament. So when, you know, people get worried about this stuff. But when I see stuff like that, I think, oh, like I know that behind the scenes, Bitcoin is 
right? Sure. It's that itch in your brain. Why is it, why is it working, right? Why is it kept working all this time? Why do people keep talking about it and thinking about it? And like, it won't go away. And the price, you know, I keep hearing it's dead, but it's not dead. Like, why is that? Like, how is that? How can that be? So it's just like, you keep coming back to it. And then eventually you, you maybe play with it or experiment with it. And then you own some and it just works its way through you, right? And so we're seeing that coming out of people. And so it started, so Joel was one example of that happening. And I think there's more behind the The biggest scene. tulip moment for me with Bitcoin was when it hit the 17,000 uh, all-time higher, whatever it was the last time, like in 2017 like or? 2017, it yeah. hit, didn't it hit like, was it 17,000? Uh, was it 17 or 19? Either way, 19, I, I think okay, maybe 19. 19. It was, it was just right. under 20. You're yeah, right. yeah. And when it came down from price, I fully expected it to go to zero. Yeah. I fully expected it to go to zero. About a year later, I checked the price and I think it was around 6K. Yeah. Don't hold me to that, maybe yeah. it was 4K, 4 now. And I remember just being stunned looking at my computer screen going, wait, what is it? What? Why isn't it at zero? Yeah. Like I couldn't I couldn't compute why this thing, because in my mind, it was a, the tulip bubble. Remember all those charts that used to be shared about tulip bubble? Yeah, they, of course. They've all kind of vanished a little bit now. You hardly see those things Oh, they'll, they'll come back after the next yeah, all-time well, high, right? Okay, yeah, have, you, have you seen the video? It's this evergreen video that goes, uh, it's a guy on YouTube and he just I think he's a Canadian Bitcoiner actually. He he made a YouTube video. It's called Don't Buy Bitcoin. It's it's gonna crash. Uh, have you seen this video? I must have. It's just clips of people saying don't No, 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 no. It's a one minute video of him sitting there and he's got four charts open and he goes one by one through them and basically he goes, This one time. Bitcoin was at $1 and then it went up to $20. Oh no, I haven't seen this. And then it crashed down to $10. And then this other time, <laughs> Bitcoin was at $25 and then it went up to $150. And then it crashed down to $80. And then this other time, Bitcoin was at $300. And then it went up to $1,000. And then it crashed down to $500. So the lesson is, don't buy Bitcoin. It's going to crash. Yeah. But obviously, it started from $1 and it ended up $500 at the bottom, right? So he's like, yeah. you know, he's, yeah. he's being yeah. sly about it. Oh, my gosh. I'll never forget. the. Yeah, I've shared this before. The AV guy at one of our events turns to me in the middle of one of our events. And he's like, hey, do you get this like Bitcoin thing? I don't know what I'm doing, but my buddy told me to buy it. This is like 2017. <laughs> yeah. And I just remember looking on the screen and he showed me it. And I'm like, how about we start the Rockstar coin? You know, your Bitcoin thing. Sure, we'll just yeah. start the Rockstar. Like I knew nothing about it. Proof of work. I didn't yep. know there was a limited supply. I knew nothing about it. Oh yeah, it's... Yeah. But uh, but that was kind of like my kind of journey and path. You know, you just kind of hits you in the head a few times until you finally like decide to study it. Listen, that's, that was same with me. I bought, I had 25 different shit coins at one point. I had in, in 2017 when I first started buying stuff, I had, a, I had a Excel sheet. I was keeping track of all these coins I was buying. I had a few ICOs. I lost money on 20, <laughs> like almost all of them. I think I had one or, one or two that did well, but then the rest got com basically completely wiped out. Um, and that was a learning lesson. And that's why it's like, okay, you know, you have to take time and you get to know it and you play with it. And so you and I now, we try to shortcut people and say, hey, don't take Forget these lumps. The garbage. I, I already took these lumps. Yes. Let me tell you about the lumps over here. You don't want to deal with this. Oh my God. And it's like, you know, in our heads, it's like, yeah, we're helping you get to the, the finish line and you're, you're, it's going to be smooth and it's going to be great and you're not going to have to worry. But the problem is it's like, okay, well then, you know, okay, well I just buy Bitcoin, I hold it and I do nothing. It's like, oh yeah, you, you know. Maybe you, you need that uh, that teachable moment yeah. sometimes. And it feels um, like you're not doing anything when you hold Bitcoin. You're like, well, shouldn't I be like investing or shouldn't I do something? And you're like, I'm not used to just buying and holding. And that's the complete like perspective change that Bitcoin brings where we've had money, supposedly, allegedly called money, dollars, um, that doesn't work properly because it is programmed to devalue, right? It We know it's going to devalue. So... It, 
it has its own forcing function of you better put this money to work because it's not working for you, right? You have to invest it and you have to spend time with, do I do this fund or that fund and this investment manager or that manager? Do I buy real estate? Do I buy gold? Do I buy oil? Do I buy stock? Do I buy bond? Blah, blah, blah. And you have to think so much and spend so much time and energy versus if you had money that just actually worked, all that, like, think about the the amount of manpower. It's so ridiculous. Think about the amount of manpower that's expended oh where people are like, yeah. okay, I got to decide how do I allocate my money? How do I invest my money? Because my money doesn't work. Because my money's broken, I need to do something with it. They like to, Jesse, to, to change the concept of real just, estate only exists because, because of the current system being broken. You shouldn't be sitting at this table. Of course you not. You shouldn't be sitting in this office. Of course not. Rockstar real estate ha should have no purpose. The fact that Rockstar real estate exists is a, a symptom of the greater problem. And, you know, I just, if there's one day where Rockstar real estate does not need to exist, to me, that means Bitcoin won. Yeah. And I really feel like I'm hoping that's the path we're on. It's the, and it's just it's like it's just amusing to me. Think of there's like I'm not saying perhaps I'm the smartest person in the world, but I'll, I work hard. Yeah. My brother works hard. Mike, who sits right behind where you sit there, super hard worker. Many people in here, super hard workers. Imagine we could take the hard work and brain power of all these people and put them on an endeavor that helps society at a greater level. That's Instead, exactly. what are we doing? We're watching all this interest rate, trying to guess what TIFF's going to say at the next Bank of Canada meeting. Do we do variable fixed what are the rates of return like it's a complete joke that we're spending this much human power time labor on something that we shouldn't need to yeah like real estate should be much simpler than it is right it's hey i like that piece of land i want to buy it okay give me some money for it okay great like and if you buy a rental property okay you want to buy a rental property had this utility value here's the return on it but it's become monetized let's face it just yeah, yeah, like rolexes and art and vintage cars and all of it because we're missing a sound secure money and now we have this permissionless, secure system that's open source where everybody can look at it, a true ledger. I mean, it's really a thing of beauty. I do wonder if like 10, 15 years from now, you and I are talking, we're like, wow, it really was an inflection point in humanity's progress. I would love to be able to look back and say it was. Yeah, I would love to, look, to be able to look back in 10 or 15 years well, too. And Jesse, we're we'll, gonna have to we'll, throw we'll, a party. We'll have that, uh, we'll have that <laughs> podcast then too. But, um, but yeah, you, what you just said about, you know, oh, I would love it if Rockstar Shore didn't exist, but it, it exists because of the system we're in. It actually reminds me, um, obviously you guys know Francis Pouliot. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard him say he was on this podcast. He was on the podcast. We're recently. big fans of bull Bitcoin. Yeah, I'm a big fan of bull Bitcoin too. I've heard him say before on on a podcast that his goal, like he wants the world where Bitcoin bull Bitcoin doesn't have to exist mm. because his service is predicated entirely on changing Bitcoin to fiat and fiat yeah. to Bitcoin. He's one of the ramps. Yeah. So if he's not he's not an off ramp. So if fiat effectively doesn't exist, his his business effectively doesn't need to exist. And he has stated publicly that like I want my business to not have to exist. Like that's it'll be that's greater the, for all of us. It'll be better for everyone if I didn't have to do this. And so yeah, so. You know, hopefully well, add we'll, Rockstar to the list of yeah, the exact same thing. Yeah. I mean, it's just humorous. Well, then we can focus on things like, uh, like energy, energy, the environment, like the environment, as much as we joke and all joke about energy, but can you imagine we just focus in the proper way of like, Hey, how do we do things in a clean fashion and make things right and clean up rivers and lakes and do things properly? Like we can all focus on what's important. And R2 and making beautiful, inspiring things, right? Like right now you look at the state of architecture 
and yeah. uh, the the displays yeah. they put up around the world. It's very like it's unexpiring. It's dull. All the towers are just We're, big square boxes made of glass. It's very uninspiring. It's soul sucking. It's it's. But like we used to build beautiful things, right? Like. You go to Italy, you go to... Yeah, you stand in awe. You stand in awe of these things, and it's because they built, right? They built with a low time preference. The people who started building those things didn't even live to see them built. Mm. Yeah, the Duomo in Florence, they didn't even know how they were going to finish that dome, and they started building it. Yeah, and that was on a gold standard, which was inferior to a Bitcoin standard. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, you know, obviously I don't think I'm going to be around, and if it's 200, 300 years where we can see some of the fruits of the of the seeds the that we AI might be planting today. The AI representation of Jesse Berger is going to be around, so there you go. Yeah. We're getting go. too high on Bitcoin now. we got to get Nick in here, because yeah. you know what? Nick couldn't be on the podcast because he was dealing with a, a, a rental property leak that we have going on, and he was like, I better come on the podcast with you and Jesse just to keep you two in check. Yeah. That's what he said. He's like, come on. <laughs> anyway, Jesse, uh, name of your book, where can people find it? Anything else you want to share, please share where can people find more of jesse burke yeah before i do that i actually i brought you guys a gift um you guys have been very good to me over the last couple of years so uh you know just showing shutting me out of your conference bringing me over having me on the podcast letting me say the <laughs> unpopular or controversial <laughs> things that i like to talk about and just speak my mind um have you ever seen world war no. b so this is do we have a camera over there? Uh, so sorry for whoever's listening who's not going to see this. There's a uh, it's a basically a coffee table book called World War B, um, and it's a fully like picture book of war propaganda, but like for Bitcoin. No way. Yeah, I thought I'd seen every Bitcoin book. I've never even heard of this. Yeah. So uh, just a little gift you can leave. Oh my gosh! Le thank leave you it sitting so much. at a rock star. I think yeah. it's a pretty cool. Thank you so much. Pretty cool piece, Jesse. That's um, so cool. Thank you, man. I really, really appreciate. Yeah, it. Yeah, you're very welcome. I remember finding that and going, "There's like, wow, that's like, that's yeah, really it's a cool. great one." Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So anyway, and Jesse, I feel fortunate, man. You speak your mind. You know, we, we've only talked about a fraction of the things today that you are capable of talking about and like to talk about. And <laughs> you've introduced us to some awesome people in your network. Um, yeah, just really grateful that we've crossed paths the way we have. And actually, I think I have to blame Greg Foss for that now. Yeah, think it of was it, Foss I think it was fault. Greg who said, hey, I know this guy, Jesse Berger, he's in Toronto. I should never have sent him a copy of my book. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I'm just really fortunate. Yeah, feel feel blessed to yeah. cross paths. So for sure. awesome. Uh, likewise. Thank you for the name of your book. Where can people find right, it? Yes, anything of course. you want to share? Um, yeah, no. Um, Magic Internet Money, a book about Bitcoin is my book. You guys know you've heard me on here a few times. Uh, follow me on Twitter at jayberjay, J-A-Y-B-E-R-J-A-Y. And the website is magicbitcoinbook.com. You can buy the paperback, the ebook, the audiobook, or you can buy individual pages for sats on my website with Lightning. Yeah. Awesome. Jesse, thank you for this. Thank you, man. You're going to have to come back. I'll 20, be back. 2024, there's going to be enough to talk about. Oh, yeah. Coming back. Oh, I have no doubt. There's going to yeah. be a lot to talk about. Hey, everyone. Hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Jesse. He is on Twitter at J-J-A-Y-B-E-R-J-A-Y. That's J-B-E-R-J-A-Y at J-A-Y-B-E-R-J-A-Y. And if you are listening to this and you want to go down the path of buying your first Bitcoin or you want to try a different exchange, the favorite one that we enjoy the most is Bull Bitcoin. You can go to rockstarbtc.ca and through that URL, you get $20 in free Bitcoin when you sign up for an account. That's rockstarbtc.ca tc.ca bull bitcoin if you go through them they have some pretty unique services i didn't chat about on this episode at all about their bill payment services we'll do that at some future time but they have a really great suite of services at bull bitcoin it's why we like them the most that's rockstarbtc.ca to get free 20 dollars in bitcoin when you sign up a bull bitcoin and fund your account that's it for this episode until next time your life your terms